already alluded this morning, uh, we're going to depart from our typical um, study of God's Word in the way that we typically do it. I'm going to move over a little bit, and we're actually going to look at uh, Arcadia Valley Chapel, and um, I'm going to tell you about it because sometimes people have shown up and they haven't been here for a while, so they don't know what makes us distinct. And I think it's important that we as a body of believers understand what makes us unique. Um, Much in the same way that we uh, examine our own lives and realize what makes us unique and individual. You know, people always talk about how snowflakes are so unique if you zoom in on one and they all look different. Well, people are the same way, and so are churches, because God has uniquely designed people, snowflakes, and churches, and many other things for a reason. And so what makes us distinct, we'll talk about that this morning, but basically uh, we're going to talk about how we started as a church. We're going to talk about the pillars that, that make us the church and what makes us a healthy church and what will make us a healthy church and healthy Christians. We're going to talk about things that make us distinct from the church down the street. Uh, we're going to talk about current needs, and we're also going to, uh, by God's grace, look ahead and uh, talk about a couple of things we feel God's leading us to as a, as a body. And then uh, also, the Lord gave me this week a theme verse for our church for this year. So the beginning of this church um, starts with one person. It starts with Jesus. Um, but it starts with his impacting my life. And the way that Jesus impacted my life will probably look different from the way that he reached down into your life. Uh, But it started with my salvation. But my salvation didn't start on the day that I was in the St. Joe uh, lead-infested waters getting ready to be baptized. My salvation started uh, years ago when God was showing me that he had called me to do something specific to lead the church Um, but before I understood what that meant or I understood how to do it. Think about the story of Moses. Moses was a man who was called by God to lead God's people out of bondage. And when he was in Egypt, he recognized, something in him recognized that he was called to be a leader. He had these natural uh, sense of what was right and wrong, and he had this natural sense of, hey, I feel like there's injustices going on. But if you remember with me, when he first realized that, he had been raised in the household of Pharaoh, and he came out and he saw a Hebrew and a Pharaoh, a Hebrew and an Egyptian fighting. And he went in there to save the Hebrew and he killed the Egyptian. He, he killed someone. This is God's man, God's chosen person. He tried to do what God had given him to do with fleshly ways. And so what does he do? He flees Egypt and he goes into the nation, or he goes uh, out into the desert, into the wilderness where he meets his wife, and where he becomes basically someone in obscurity. He becomes someone that uh, doesn't have any people around him. He's no longer living in a palace, and he becomes a shepherd, which people that were shepherds in Egyptian culture were despised. And so, but if you remember the story, he's out tending the sheep, and there's a burning bush, and he shows up at the burning bush, and he looks at it, and it's not being consumed, but it's burning And so God speaks to him through a burning bush and shows them, hey, I'm going to take you back to where you ran from, and I'm going to deliver my people. And what what does Moses say? I can't do that. I can't even speak. And so as he says, I can't even speak, the Lord says, I will speak through you. I will give you my words. Now that you realize that you're not strong enough on your own to fulfill my calling on your life, 
Now that you've been broken and humbled and realized how weak you are, now I can use you. That's my story. God gave me influence over a group of Christians at Mac, and I, I was not walking with the Lord, but they saw some leadership and abilities in me. Inabilities is a better word than abilities. And, and because of that, they elected me the president of the Christian Student Union. Now, apparently they didn't have very good discernment, but God was already showing me that he was going to have me be a leader. And I tried to do it like Moses in the flesh. And when I went off to Rolla, transferred, I spun out and I walked in the flesh and I had no foundation spiritually. So I'm not going to tell you every nitty gritty detail, but it was bad. You know, whatever you think that I am, I'm not that. I wasn't walking with the Lord my whole life. I wasn't raised in a Christian family. As a matter of fact, I was the farthest from it. We were a family of, we can pick up ourselves by our own bootstraps. We don't need anybody. We don't need God. And, uh, and, but we're good old, good old boys. We're good people. And we'll, we would do anything for you. But it was all in the flesh. And we didn't, you know. So that said, um, in 2006, I moved back from Rolla. I got a job in January at the Missouri Natural Gas Company. And I worked there for seven years. But during the first year there, I had made promises to God that I was not going to do all the stuff I did anymore. Much like my three-year-old, when I call her out on something and she's disciplined, I will never do it again. Right. I will never do it again. Okay. You know. And uh, so I went back to my old ways. And uh, while I was back in my old ways, even though I made those promises to God, he fulfilled them. He sent somebody that worked at the end of the hall for me at the gas company that started talking to me about Jesus and asked me if I went to church anywhere. And I said, yes, I do, um, but I'm looking for a church, which most of the time when I've come across people that are like me that were looking for a church, they weren't going to church on Sunday. They weren't looking for no church. They were hoping church would show up, you know, and God can do that, you know, but so he sent somebody at the end of the hall that shared Jesus with me, and he actually was quoting scripture, but this was a businessman. He wasn't no preacher. I asked him, I was like, are you like a pastor or something? He's like, no, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm a Christian. I'm like, well, I don't know no Bible, and I call myself a Christian. And so he shared with me from Isaiah. He says, our faith is reasonable. In Isaiah chapter 1, and I've told many of you this many times, it says, come let us reason together. Though our sins were as scarlet, Jesus has made us white as snow. He doesn't say Jesus, but that's what he's pointing forward to, salvation through God sending his son. So as I heard that, I was like, man, I want to get involved. And he invited me to church. It was a Wednesday night. I was sitting around with a bunch of guys like we have on our Wednesday nights. Um, and I was humbled because I heard these, in my words at the time, slack-jawed Southeast Missourians quoting more scripture and understanding more about God than I ever did in my educated ways. And so um, I was humbled, I was broken, and they were simple, and they were sincere. They were real, real Christians. Uh, they were honest about their failures, their weaknesses, and they wanted to change, and they were trusting the Lord to make those changes. So I went to Sunday nights. I eventually left my other church where I was running the soundboard, showing up hungover the next day and running the soundboard and, and living in, in my, uh, my ways like I was. I started going to this church. No one ever told me, stop doing this, stop doing this, stop doing this. They did encourage me to get to know Jesus through the reading of his word. And every service, they were opening up this thing and teaching it. Not teaching from it, but teaching it. And showing me Jesus in every passage. In the book of Numbers, they were teaching the book of Numbers of all books on Sunday nights. And I saw that Jesus was in there. 
I saw that, you know, that the, when, when they were being killed and plagued because they were sinning and complaining against God, that God provided a way for them to be delivered. If you remember, Moses made a bronze serpent and he put it up on a pole in Numbers chapter 13. And as he put it up on a pole, he says, when you are afflicted, when you are plagued because you've complained and grumbled against me, if you are bitten by these serpents and the serpents were biting people and killing them, when, if you will look to the bronze serpent you will be saved, you will be delivered, you'll be healed. And that was a foretaste of what we would see in Christ. When you have sinned against God, when you've grumbled and complained against him and rebelled against him, but in the day of trouble, when your sins are overcoming and you are experiencing the consequences, if you look to the cross, you can be forgiven. And so I'm I'm hearing all these things for the first time going, I didn't know the Old Testament was about Jesus. I didn't know that. But it all pointed to the cross. And so... All those things said, I started hanging out with these guys. And these men were at church, and they wanted to be there. Their wives hadn't drugged them there. This was new. I grew up in a Methodist church. Every one of them guys that came in there, they were all henpecked. I didn't want to be like them. They were leading their families, and I wanted to be like that. Jesus never says, do as I say, not as I do. How cool is that? My earthly father never did that. And that's because he didn't know Jesus. You know, that's nothing against himself. That's just, he's fallen man, just like the rest of us. But the beauty is that Jesus says, be holy for I am holy. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. That's because he was taking up his cross. He was leading the way. And then Paul, the apostle, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. So there's not hypocrisy. Now, we know that there's still hypocrisy in the church, and we're all hypocrites in some way or another, whether we realize it or not, but God is able to change that. So, my life is one life that was changed by the power of the Spirit as people were obedient to the Lord, and they were honest about themselves. And that's what I feel like God's called us to plant down here, a Bible study church where we know what the Word of God says, and we're all growing in it if we don't, and we let this, the Spirit change us as we read the Word. Nobody ever told me you need to stop getting drunk at that church. But when I read the Word of God, and that was in Ephesians 5, it says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. You're called away from that now. You, I want you to be filled with me. The wine, it's not, there's nothing in the Bible that says you cannot drink. What it says is if you're too full of anything, you don't have room for Him. So being drunk or being controlled by something other than the Holy Spirit is sin as a believer. And so I found that out, and you know what? Nobody ever told me that. I read the Word that one night, and when I did that, I go, I'm dumping it. I'm done. Because my whole life had been being controlled by that substance. For you, it might be something else. And so my, my life changed. Um, there was lots of other things going on. I was given opportunities to teach children's church, um, and still working through my own flaws. Many times people feel like they can't come to church until they clean themselves up. You cannot clean yourself up. Come to church. Let Jesus cleanse you. Get filled up for the week. Fill yourself up during the week. Eat from the table. And then when you come on Sunday, hopefully this is a smorgasbord. We're all got a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And if you don't like something, spit it out. Go get you another plate. You know, that's the idea. And so... Um, in 2011, I met my wife through the church. We started dating in 2011. 
I proposed in 2011, and in July we got married. That's how we did it. I had been in previous relationships, and uh, God, that's what God called me to. Um, I found a woman, for you young men, I found a woman who loves Jesus more than she loves me. That is a, endure, and it's, it's a quality that you need in a woman that is going to be godly. She needs to love Jesus more than she loves you. Um, we got to go on a mission trip before we ever had children. I wanted to go and do that with her because I figured at some point I'd be called away. Um, and then she wouldn't be able to go with me, so she'd know how to pray for me. And vice versa, she's going to, you know, at some point probably have to go without me. Um, but anyway, we were serving together. We were growing together. And then uh, we were comfortable in our Farmington home. And then one day, as I was getting together with my pastor, uh, he prayed with me. And we were praying together once a week, and he brought up the idea of coming down here. So zoom back a little bit. So I'm getting ahead of myself. Go to the next slide, Jesse. There's a family um, that went through a tragedy in August of 2012, correct? In August of 2012. Well, this lady on the left, that's Cindy. That's Heather's mom. Um, she was baptized on the same day as me. Just so happened in June of 2008. And as she was baptized, and many of the grandkids were too, basically, um, God was already knitting our story together. Well, in August of 2012, Heather and Stacy lost a son in a tragic four-wheeler accident, Jerry. And uh, Jerry was tragically lost, and it uh, caused a lot of brokenness. Stacy had already lost a son before. And uh, so my pastor, Pastor Mike in Farmington, was called by Cindy and said, hey, will you do this funeral, this memorial service? And he said, yeah, no problem. Well, at the time, he looked a lot more gruesome. He had had a, an eye removed in surgery, so he had an eye patch with a rattlesnake skin on it. God knew that Stacy could deal with a guy that had a rattle pat, a rattlesnake eye patch. Um, but he came down, and they warned my pastor before he came down to do the funeral, hey, watch out for Dad. Watch out for Stacy because he's mad at God, and he might hit you if you talk to him. So don't talk to him. Okay. So he comes down. He does the funeral. Uh, he does a graveside service. I believe there was a graveside service. And afterwards, Stacy's moved because he's broken, and he comes up and gives Pastor Mike a big old hug. Now, he did not expect that. So Stacy comes up and he says, I want to talk to you. I'm sharing all this stuff because I love this story. It's just so amazing how God works. So Stacy comes up and says, uh, I want to talk to you about getting saved. I want to trust Jesus. Uh, everything else I've trusted has not been what it, what it said it was. And I know I need a Savior. So he says, okay, well, let's, let's talk right now. And he said, no, I'll come to church next week. So he goes to church, takes the whole family. This is what men do. He was convinced that he needed Jesus, and he wanted his whole family to know that too. So he took his whole family up to Farmington. They went to church. Afterwards, they talked. And I think within a week or so, there was a baptism service. We got out the horse trough, filled it up with ice-cold water. Stacy loves ice-cold water. That's why we did that to Montana too. And uh, he was baptized, and, and many of the boys got baptized the same day, and Heather did too. Well, Heather had already been up there at one point and talked to Pastor Mike because he went with Cindy. She went with Cindy. And uh, at the same time, she said, I'd like to go to church every week, but we live in Ironton, and my old man don't want to have anything to do with church. And so this is a whole story that God's weaving together. But anyway, uh, after August and going through that whole thing, 
there was a baptism, and then within a few weeks, I think it was in August, uh, Heather and Stacy, uh, no one told them this. Stacy goes, I guess we ought to get married. And it was an amazing thing because, you know, he's, he's saved. He's understanding what the will of the Lord is. Uh, from what I know, he wasn't sitting around reading his Bible all day. He was just convinced that, hey, I should get married. That's the right thing to do in the sight of God. And so they got married. And I actually got to be there that day. So that's pretty cool. I didn't even know any of this further was going to happen. So um, that whole thing happens. And then uh, we're praying one day and my pastor looks at me and he says, would you consider coming down to AV with me every week on Sunday nights? And I want, I want to try and start a Bible study down there because there's a family down there. And he told me the whole story. Uh, they can't come up here every week. Logistically, you know, they got a gajillion kids. God's blessed them with a gajillion kids. And, uh, you know, gas money and driving and, you know, maybe God wants to start something in Arcadia Valley. Okay. Sounds great. So we come down. The first night is March 3rd, 2013. And we started at Bobby Powell's. Next slide. Bobby Powell's. We put up a big old sign. Uh, he let us rent on Sunday nights. He let us change whatever. You can see on the upper right-hand corner, there's a picture of the, the children's church was in the back room, in the green room. It was on the floor. Um, they were doing Bible studies. Uh, we had worship. It was a perfect place. Had all the seating. Had a place for everybody to hang out. Um, and then, of course, you got all your scenery. Got the nice wood background. But it's set up for church. Except I, I could have used some more windows. You know, it's a little dark in there. So we continued there until November of 2013. Go ahead. Uh, but before then, I, I told my wife, I said, I feel like God's moving. And I feel like it's time for us to move. Uh, because God sends. You know, Jesus came to us. Maybe God's wanting to send us to the valley. So my wife looked at me, and she goes, I don't want to move. <laughs> we were getting ready to have a baby. Like, she was very pregnant at the time. And she was pregnant from the time we started coming down here. And so she was nesting in the back room, and we were doing all this and that. And, she, and, and I go, I feel like God's called us to move. So we put up the house for sale. But she couldn't look at me for two weeks without crying. And, uh, and she was nervous about it, and it wasn't that she didn't want to move down here. She just liked our life up there. We had a church that was flourishing. God was using us. We were, I was leading the youth. And uh, so anyway, uh, we put our house up for sale, and it didn't sell. And some major things happened at the farming church. Uh, Farmington Church, there was, uh, you know, basically the, the worship leader ran off with another guy's wife, um, split up two marriages, good friends of ours. There was a lot of spiritual warfare going on. And so uh, our house was for sale, but God knew that we needed to stay up there for a time. And so it didn't sell. Well, the dust clears. Um, some things happen. And essentially, uh, I, I get a call and there's an offer on our house. And it's finally an offer that I can't refuse. You know, and, and it's, it's, I'm checking out my spreadsheets because I'm an engineer and going, hey, this actually makes sense. Houses are cheaper down here. We had enough for a down payment. All the things lined up. So we get an offer on a Friday. I'm at work. I'm driving up 67 from Poplar Bluff. I stop at a Dairy Queen, start doing the numbers on my computer. And then I call my wife. I was like, we got an offer. We, we got to find a house. Well, I've been studying the market down here. There wasn't a whole lot of new houses for sale. There wasn't a whole lot of houses that were finished for sale. And so we start looking, and on the day that we got an offer on our house in Farmington, the house that we now live in came up for sale 
on the Realtor app, except it had no pictures. So we, I was like, well, let's go check it out. So on paper, it looked great, but we got to go look, right? So we go up down. It's got uh, a garage. We needed a garage because I got a ridiculous amount of toys, apparently. I didn't realize that. And uh, we needed uh, fenced in the backyard because we got children coming and we got a dog. And we also needed a place that had enough rooms. And that was finished that we didn't like have to work on when we came down because I'm working full time. We, we come in, we look at it, and I was like, this is an old house. It's going to need some work. And I look in the window. We walk in the front door. They just remodeled the whole thing. So God provided a house. So that said, uh, our house sold, and we bought a house on Wayne Street. Go ahead. Fast forward November. Uh, my, my pastor keeps telling me, look for a place that you guys can use all week, something you can rent, something. There's empty buildings all over the place. And I called probably 10 or 15 people, and no one ever returned my call, except for this place. Right next to Napa, used to be a paint store, used to be a gun store. <laughs> Smells great, got perfect flooring. No, it, it, it was what we needed. It was what we, you know, and so uh, we bought, we rented this place from them for about two, three years. Uh, that's what it looked like when we first came in on the lower left-hand corner. We just had chairs, put up the screen. Um, and we had worship services there. And then on the lower right, you can see that we built it out. We put some walls up. We put some sound stuff in and, and a little bit of lighting, a little de- decor. And uh, we, were, we were content. God was using it, and we wanted to stay simple. So uh, next slide. But then in January, excuse me, uh, December of last year, um, I got, a, I got a, a message from a buddy of mine I went to high school with that is the pastor at the bridge in Lettington. He said, did you see this? Well, he sent me a text message of a, basically a screen capture of Facebook, and this, this place we're in right now was for sale for $19,995. You can't buy a car for that. And I'm like, okay, well, what's wrong with it? So uh, he said, have you seen this? And I said, no, but I will go see it. Well, we had driven by here. And I famously said this, when we drove by here, like before we knew it was for sale or when it was out of our price range or something, we didn't know it was for sale. We drove past this place one day and I go, that is the worst spot to have church. It's off the main drag. It's not, you know, it's, it's off up here in the hill. Nobody knows where it's at. And uh, there was all kinds of other things that I was thinking that will never work. It's a traditional church building, which I've never gone to until this place. You know, I, I went to church in two yellow middle buildings that are basically pole bar- barns that had been finished inside. That's how God reached me. Um, but God had different plans, and he knew what would work down here. And so uh, this place was for sale. I called the guys. I said, let's go look at it. It was 30 degrees in here because they had everything winterized. We're shivering, going, oh, it looks great. Let's get out of here. Let's go eat. And so we looked at it. We prayed about it. We had looked at other places. Um, uh, we had looked at a, uh, a retail, uh, basically a, a place that was for business that we'd have to change. We looked at uh, the Methodist church that was the Assembly of God church down the street from us in Ironton. Um, and God shut it down every time. We didn't have unity in the leadership. And so little did we know that God wanted to give us something that would work way better for way cheaper. So he gave us this place. We were renting the place next to Napa for 600 bucks a month, utilities included, and here, I think, on the worst months where we have to run the electric all the time, it cost us about $480 a month, and we own it. And they actually were willing to loan us the money. So how cool is that? So 
uh, essentially, uh, we have this building now, and we are paying for it, but our mortgage payment is out about 180 bucks. I mean, only God can do that, right? So that said, next slide. What is the purpose of God's church? What is the purpose? Well, if you turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 28, this is what Jesus left his disciples with. Matthew chapter 28. You've heard this, I'm sure, if you ever grew up in an evangelical church of any kind. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. It says, uh, The eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So this was the time when Jesus has already been risen from the dead. And Jesus said to them famously, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the command was to go and make disciples. Go is not necessarily the idea that we get when we send out missionaries. The word go there in the original language means as you are going, make disciples. How many of us have been called to be long-term missionaries? Me neither, okay? So what does that mean for us? Well, it means that as we go to the insurance agency, as we go to work in the city, as we go to our family members, as we go to weld, whatever we've been called to do. I go to U.S. Tool. Maybe some of you go to school, right? You are called to, as you are going, make disciples of all nations. And the way that we do that is we share our faith with others. We talk about Jesus as we go. That's the same thing as in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where it says you're to talk about salvation. You're to talk about the, the kingdom of God as you rise up in the morning, as you lay down at night, as you walk by the way, all the time. And so um, to go as you are going and make disciples. Notice he doesn't say to make converts. There are many people that have heard the gospel and have been converted, but they're not being discipled. Discipled means a disciplined one, someone who has not only a said faith, but is walking in the faith and is being transformed as they commit themselves to the study of God's word and as they try to live it out. Um, baptizing. Baptism is just a public proclamation of the faith. It doesn't save you. Baptizing someone underwater doesn't transform their heart. Being convicted by the Holy Spirit and responding to the call to repent and be saved, that's what changes you. God promised to give us a new heart. And then as an act of obedience, we follow Jesus by being baptized. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Teaching them. How can we teach them something we don't know? So God's given us this cover-to-cover -cover word from Genesis to Revelation to teach us first so then we can teach others. David, when he uh, repented in Psalm chapter 51, he said, teach me so that I can teach others. And that was right out. He was repenting of basically committing adultery with Bathsheba and then murdering her husband to cover it up. He said, Lord, I'm still not finished. Forgive me. Change me so that I can also lead others in the way of salvation. That's my, uh, that's my version of it anyway. 
So then he gives a promise. These things are not things I've called you to do in your own power. I'm going to be with you. So he promised to give us the Holy Spirit to fill us and to overflow from us, to lead us into all truth, to comfort us, to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And he does that through us. The Spirit fills us so that we can do those things. So next slide. So the four pillars of the church can be found in Acts chapter 2, and this is what we pattern ourselves after. We feel like this is the uh, strongest command that the church has been given, and it's the way that the original church continued. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. You'll remember that Peter and John were arrested, and the, the preaching of the gospel was forbidden. And then they prayed for boldness. And as they did this, in chapter 2, verse... Oh, sorry, that's not the chapter. That's chapter 4. Chapter 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And as the Holy Spirit was poured out, uh, basically the, the apostles were given the ability to speak other tongues. And everyone that was there gathered for the Feast of Pentecost was from other nations, and they all spoke in different languages. And as the Holy Spirit was poured out on the apostles, they spoke in other tongues, and every nation, tribe, and tongue understood the gospel in their own language. So one person preaching, they all understood. And as that was taking place, uh, basically many were saved on that day, and the church was birthed. So as we see in Acts chapter 2, Verse 40, it says, With many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in these four things. The apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and in prayers. So that's what we pattern ourselves after. We want to keep it simple want to keep it real. We see it important as teaching the Word of God. The whole Bible makes a whole Christian, just like a whole sandwich makes a whole meal. You know, why would we study only portions and camp out on certain verses? If God's put it all in His Word, we probably need it all. And the beauty of that is that when it comes time to talk about tithing, it's going to be in the Scripture, and then we'll talk about it in that context. When it comes time to talk about salvation, It'll be brought up. When it comes time to talk about the gifts of the Spirit, it will be there, and it's repeated just enough times for the right proportions. Think about it like the food pyramid. Now, our food pyramid keeps changing, right? From the time I was in school till the time now, based on studies and recent events and gluten or antioxidants or whatever the fat is, we all base our diets on that, right? No, we don't. But many of us do. Well, the Word of God doesn't change, ever. It gives us just the right proportion of the law. It gives us just the right proportion of grace. It gives us just the right proportion of our free will and our ability to live out the faith. And it also gives the right proportion of God's completely in control and we just need to let him, you know. So the beauty of the word of God is that it's just the right size meal. It's, and you can't read it all in one day. You can try. It takes about 70 hours. Or you can read it little by little. You can snack on it, and you can feed on it daily, and you can be nourished by it. Some days it's going to convict you, man, I need to change. And some days you're going to feel like, I read it, 
and I don't get it, and I'm going to move on, you know, and that's okay. We're all growing, but it will also cause us to question, do I really believe what this says? Because I should, but I don't get it, and then it should cause us to question each other. What does this mean? Have you ever read this passage? And we all get to grow by realizing we're all in a growth process, and we're all in different places, and so the Word of God is the central thing that we use uh, to teach and to grow. Fellowship, regular time spent with other Christians, two fellows in a ship going in the same direction. That's fellowship. Two fellows or multiple fellows in a ship together. And if we're all in the same ship, we're all going the same way. And so we, you ever hear the phrase, you are who your friends are? <laughs> you are. You know, we tell our kids that, but it's true. The people you're around all the time, you will become like them. You're letting them teach you how to live. Well, many of us want to follow Jesus, and then we don't spend any time with other people to follow Jesus. Why is that? Why do we expect different results? Well, we need to immerse ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean that we never hang out with non-believers, because if we don't, they don't ever see Jesus in us. And so we need to have a balance in that. But what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says is that bad company corrupts good morals. So take that for what it is. We need to be with each other regularly. And we don't do a whole lot of extra events. I know your lives are busy. Some of us more busy than others. I always say this, you're as busy as you want to be, whether you feel like that's the case or not. Your life is not in control of you. Your decisions have led you to where you are. That said, realizing the culture that we live in we don't make an extra emphasis on having 80 things a week. We know lives are busy. So what we do is we give opportunities when we give them. So when we have an opportunity for fellowship, take advantage of it. Be there. Even if you don't want to go swimming tonight, show up and hang out. Who knows what God might say to you through someone else? And who knows, you might see somebody you didn't know. And then there's another connection in the body. Breaking of bread. Now, if you're uh, from a Baptist background, fellowship means you're eating, right? And that's okay. I think that lots of good fellowship is had around food. The breaking of bread here doesn't mean eating. It doesn't mean bellying up to the buffet. Breaking of bread means the regular observance of communion. Taking time to set apart, to spend with the Lord, to eat his body and partake of his blood, symbolically to remember his sacrifice, all that he has done, all that he is doing to examine ourselves, to see if we're continuing in the faith that we proclaim, to have a sober moment, hopefully several moments, and then also to pray and say, Lord, what do you got for the future? It's just a time set apart, and we all partake at the same time. Now, can you take communion at home? Absolutely. And I would encourage that. Times of reflection where you take that sober institution. Now, does taking communion save you? Biblically, no. Communion is just something we also follow and we practice regularly, just like the apostles did when Jesus was getting ready to be crucified. He instituted this Lord's Supper. Now, something that we don't regularly do or ever do is foot washing. There are many churches that feel like foot washing is a pillar of the church. We don't do it. I don't see it in Scripture that it's commanded to do. I see communion and baptism as the two. Take it or leave it. Um, prayer. The power of the church to get God's will done on earth 
not our will done in heaven. Prayer is seeking God's face. And it is really to the believer like breathing. We breathe every day. We don't even realize it. And if we don't do it, we what? We die. As believers, we are either strengthened or weakened by our prayer or lack thereof. So as believers, prayer is very important. So it's, these are all pillars of the early church, and they're pillars of what has begun and has continued here. So I would ask you, are these things in, in your life? And if they are, these are essentials for a healthy church, but they're also, I would submit to you, essentials for a healthy believer and a healthy individual. So go ahead. Next slide. Distinctives. I'm just going to hit the high points, okay? The way we do church government, it's pastor-led and it's elder-supported. So a lot of that responsibility falls upon me. If you've ever been to a church that does congregational uh, government, we don't do that. Uh, essentially because if you're a, a signed-up member, you can show up whether you come to church ever or not, and you can make decisions and you can be a part of that. Um, now, there are risks involved because if I'm not walking with the Lord and I make bad decisions, the whole church suffers. So that's why I have hel- elders. I have men that I'm accountable to, and they either they have the power to veto what I have to say. And if I'm living in sin and they catch me, they hold me accountable. Okay. The elders are Steve Persley, Jason Samples. Uh, Jason does not go to church here. He goes to Parkland Chapel until God raises somebody else up here. And uh, one of the deacons is Jesse Campbell in the back. So um, if you ever have issues and you don't want to talk to me about it, talk to those guys. They're here for you as well. Um, Evangelism program. That's you guys. You are our evangelism program. We don't have a specific way we do it. We believe that disciples are made when individuals interact with other individuals. That's how I was reached, and that's probably how most of you guys were reached with the gospel. Individual life-on-life interaction. And so, um, who's God called you guys to reach? Membership. We don't have it officially. If you want to be a member, worship Jesus with us, attend regularly, pray for one another, and serve in whatever capacity God has given you and gifted you. If there's something you see needs done around the church, a ministry you feel like we lack, come and talk to the leadership. We will pray about it, and we will give you the ability to do it. We'll provide resources. Um, But if you have an idea, and you feel like you're not really called to do it, then it's probably not going to happen. Because in many cases, I'm stretched as far as I can go, unless God tells me to do something else. But a uh, typical case, a couple weeks ago, Dave came to me. He goes, man, the railing really looks like it needs painted and fixed. The wood's rotten. And I said, great. Do you want to do it? And he said, I can do it. I said, I'll get you as much wood as you need. And he did it. And he's got some other stuff he's working on. The same case is for anybody else. If you feel like God's called you to a ministry here, talk to us about it. We want to empower you to do whatever God gives you to do. And we believe that everyone's been gifted to serve in the church in some way or another. It may not be as visible as being on stage, but it's there. And if God's called you to do it, he'll provide. He always does. Next slide. Uh, we are Holy Spirit-led, but we guide our experiences 
with the Holy Spirit by the Word of God. Uh, if you don't know what that is, you can come talk to me about it later. But essentially, uh, we don't want to be so charismatic that we just let it rip and it's chaotic. God's not a God of confusion. And at the same time, uh, we do believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We're open to that. Uh, but we also ex- ex- we let those experiences be guided by what God's Word has to say about the gifts of the Spirit. Tithes and offerings. <clears throat> it's our conviction. It's not something that we feel is essential. And we don't look upon anybody else, down upon anybody else that does this, but we don't pass the plate, and I will not ask you for money. That box in the back, if you feel like you want to worship by giving to the Lord, and I believe God's Word teaches that, you can put it in the back. Um, We don't pass the plate because we don't want people giving because the neighbor that they're sitting next to is looking at them. We don't want you to feel compulsed to give. We want you to do it out of the abundance of what God has given you as you are led by the Lord. Tithes are the 10%. Offerings are above and beyond that. If you just want to feel like God's blessed you and you just want to give more, you can. Everything we've done from day one has been provided for by people giving anonymously in the back. If you write a check, you can get it taken off your taxes as a deduction, but you don't have to. You can give in cash, whatever your conviction is. Um, And we do send out contribution letters at the end of the year. Um, Everything that comes in through the box, we use at least, most of the time it's more, 10% to support other Christ-centered ministries. We support the Arcadia Valley Ministerial Alliance. We support the Pregnancy Resource Center in Park Hills. And we also support the Bridge Bangkok in uh, the outer reaches to the ends of the earth. Uh, They are supporting church plants there in Bangkok, Thailand. So um, if you want more information about that, you can click the links on our website under missions. Next slide. Programs. Um, whatever you bring in, whatever you bring people in with is what you have to do to keep them. So if you win people by lots of programs and lots of excitement, you have to keep that going. So because that is the case, we don't hype things. We don't uh, it's not that we're not excited about what God's doing. We just know that if we have to keep the energy up all the time, we're all going to get burned out. So as God leads people to start ministries or shut them down, we're willing to, to let them go. If, something, if the Lord was in something for a while and we feel like he's no longer called us to do it, then we just, we're not afraid to kill ministries or let them die, as it were. Um, if God starts up something new, we support it. And if it kind of falls flat on its face, we go, hey, that was a good try. Let's try something else. But we don't want to be married to ideas just because we've always done them. I believe that that is a big killer in churches. Why are you doing this ministry? Because we always have. Okay, but no one's showing up. We have to keep it going. We're not going to do that. Um, At the same time, uh, many times we'll try things that we think that God might bless. Um, If you feel led in a direction for a certain kind of ministry, talk to me or Steve or Jesse about it. We'll pray about it. If we believe the Lord's in it, we'll provide the resources for you. Um, Serving, a note on serving. If we want anyone uh, new to, excuse me, we, anybody that's new, if you feel like God's called you to serve in some way or another, we like for you to be here for at least six months before you sign up to serve. Now, there have been exceptions to that rule, um, but in, as is the case, uh, we want you to get, have time to get to know us, and we want to have time to get to know you. Uh, and so that's a simple way to do it. We just have a six-month rule. Now, 
we also want you to find your niche. Whatever way God's gifted you, we want you to be free to serve in that capacity. Next slide. Staff. Currently, no one is on the payroll. I take no paycheck. Um, I'm, I'm not going to say that it'll always be that way, but for the time being, God has called me to work at U.S. Tool until he shuts the door for that. And he provides for us, and we are paying off our debt as if one day God might want to support us to full time. But that said, uh, no one here gets paid. It's all volunteer-based. Everything that comes into the, the kitty, as it were, goes towards ministries, uh, supporting other ministries. We do benevolence from time to time when the need arises. And everything we've ever needed, God has provided every dollar and every skilled person to do what was needed. Uh, when we were getting ready to buy this place, it just so happened we happened to know an insurance guy in the congregation. So he helped us out. Thank you, Ronnie. Um, and there are many other cases. When we were getting ready to have Judah, somebody stepped up and said, I want to help clean. Um, and there have been many cases where people have stepped up to help with worship, fix railings, uh, you name it. We've always, when there was a need, God provided for it through the people and through the money. Next. <clears throat> so what is God's purpose for his church and why do we need to exist? Well, yeah, I could use something to drink. Thank you. See, a need and a provision right there. Thank you, Lord, for my wife. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse 11. Thank you. It says this about the church. Paul writing in Ephesians 4, 11, says that he, God himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. All of these gifts he gave, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry for the strengthening of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So God has called us all to things that are different, but the church exists to equip the saints to the, for the work of the ministry. It's not for the pastor only. It's not for the children's church leaders only. It's for all of us. We have to be equipped to do what God's called us to do, and that's what the church exists for. So, current needs. I'm going to list out these needs just because they were on my mind last night. We need nursery volunteers. My wife can teach children's church. Dana can teach children's church. And many of others can teach children's church. But if you are wrestling Judah, the 30-pound bowling ball, nobody's learning nothing down there. That's it. That's all I have to say. We have a need for nursery workers. If nothing else, just to be a blessing uh, to us and Judah. Judah needs love done, and he needs an elbow drop once in a while to get him to chill out. And just feed him all the animal crackers you want. God will work that out. Um, children's church teachers. Uh, we do require a background check, uh, but most of the time it's no big deal, I promise, even if you did uh, drink and drive 30 years ago. I mean, it'll be all right, you know. Uh, prayer for our youth. I believe that we need to pray for our youth, and I believe that God is uh, raising up an opportunity. Uh, we've got lots of kids, lots of youth that come in here, and then they leave because essentially we don't have anything for the youth. We don't have a youth group, as it were. 
Now, our youth group's probably going to look different than the one down the street. You know, we're not going to be necessarily having choke as many Cheetos as you can contests. Um, But we will have some fun stuff. And I think this side of the hill looks great for a water slide. You know, there's all kinds of things that we could do to bring people in and then to share the gospel with the youth in our area. I don't know about you guys, but I read the paper. And uh, there's, every time there's a birth announcement, eight times out of ten, it's unmarried couples having babies. Why are they doing it? Because that's what the world does. Don't be surprised. But they need to know the truth and that there can be a stable family unit and that God can change the next generation even if we were raised in a different way and even if we started our families in a different way. God has better plans. But they will never know that unless they get the opportunity to hear that message. So I I believe we need to pray for our youth. And in that same vein, I feel like God's called us uh, this year to try and have a baccalaureate service for the the seniors. And I don't know how we can get that done, but I know they used to have one. And I believe God wants to raise that up, not just because we always did one, but because uh, we can do it in a fresh way. So be praying about that. Upcoming opportunity through Young Faith in Christ in the elementary school for mentoring. So if during the day you have time and you feel God might be calling you to that, I'm going to have the gentleman, Tim Burden, that runs the Young Faith in Christ. He's trying to start an AV branch. There will be opportunities to mentor students in the school. God's opened up that door. Uh, The porch is going to need painted. Dave loves building things, but he's not a painter. And so because of that, I promised him Either I would paint it or find somebody else or a couple of people that are good at painting to paint it. We'll need to paint the sign and the poles, the gold poles out there, the brass-looking poles. I think they should be white or something else. So we need to do some painting. Um, An electrician. Got a couple of lights that don't work, and we need to install some exit signs before Ronnie riots on me. Um, Insurance, you know, that's how they are. We need prayer warriors. We need people that are called to lead worship. We need people that are called to run the sound audio-visual booth so we can give Jesse a break. We need uh, folks with mowers and weed eaters. I killed my weed eater yesterday. Not for my house, for here. Um, folks who can remove snow in the winter. We will always have... That's a note. We will always have service no matter the weather unless the place is just gone and blown down or earthquaked. We always have service. Because if the minute we say, hey, we're not having service, and I send out the little email or the Facebook or the text message, guess what happens? People have risked their lives to show up here. So I've got a Jeep for the sake of we will always have service. Use your own judgment, but we'll be here. And uh, a little note on, oh, what was it? Serving, Okay. It is my conviction that everyone needs to get fed regularly. So when you're serving downstairs, or if you're serving in a capacity where you don't get to sit in on service, um, you miss out on some things. So in order for that to take place, the more people volunteer to teach our children or lead um, or take care of uh, Judah man down there, uh, guess what happens? The less times you have to serve. So the less opportunity for burnout. And so I don't want anyone serving in those capacities downstairs any more than once a month. That's my goal. Now, will God raise up the people? Who knows? He hasn't in the last four years, and we're fine with that. You know, God's still good, and we can listen to sermons during the week, and we can get fellowship. But my desire is to see folks only have to serve once a month in the children's area. Next slide. I promise we're coming on the home stretch. What's ahead? 
So our building, when we bought it, had a leak, leaky basement problem, and it still does. But we also want to build children's rooms downstairs. So the best way we feel that we can do that is by uh, they're going to dig up this whole side of the foundation, and that whole side of the foundation where it leaks, we're going to put in French drains, we're going to put in gravel, and we're going to tar the whole side of the building. And I've got a guy that's going to contract that. He's coming to look at it with his excavator Monday and Tuesday, or Monday or Tuesday. And they should be doing that before the fall so we can build children's classrooms, not under here where we can hear them, but back there underneath this storage area uh, so that um, I'm not distracted. And then we'll have essentially a nursery. We'll have a children's church classroom. And the whole area underneath us will be fellowship area. There will be a bathroom in the back, and there will be a storage area. And that'll, who knows how long that'll take. But that's what we see happening downstairs. And also, um, and then the painting. So that's, that's some of the practical things that we're looking towards. And God's already provided for all those things. Uh, the beauty of it is we bought chairs. Um, and I was nervous that we wouldn't be able to do the parking lot or fix the sign. And by the time we bought the chairs, the money was already replaced. And then we're fixing the sign and we went ahead and did the parking lot. You guys got to see that this morning. And those are little things, but they're big things for somebody that would come and visit because many of you guys don't care about that stuff, but somebody else might. And for them, it just looks like we care. You know, God's not broke, and he can provide for those things, and he always has. Next. This year's verse for the church, and this was the conviction that came to me. Um, this is what Jesus said in Mark chapter 2, verse 17. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So I wrote down there for you, no more status quo church. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, and he left us here to do the same until he returns. Next slide, Jesse. So how can you interact with this message? How can you interact? How can you do your part to continue what God has started here in the Spirit? First, let God continue his life-changing work in you. If you're not being changed by the gospel, people won't receive it. But when they see Christ in you because you're daily being changed by him, they'll, they'll at least, at the very least, want to know what's different about you. Second, seek God on behalf of others who are lost by praying for them. Remember where you came from and pray for those that are still where you were. That's simple. Third, Take advantage of the opportunities that Jesus gives you to use them to share God's word and his good news with them. And fourth, this is the one I've always failed at. We need to keep loving those people that we reach out to when they receive or reject what we have to tell them. Because if you will continue to love them, even though they won't come to church, even though they won't receive what you have to teach them, guess what? They go, oh, they actually do care about me. I'm not just a number I'm, they're trying to reach. Why is all this important? Because that's how God reached me, and that's how God started this church, through individuals speaking into the lives of others, deeply, genuinely caring about them, and letting the Word of God change them over time. That takes grace, because most people come in, they're wrecked messes, just like the, we used to be, or just like we are, and it takes time to change. So if we can give them the grace and the encouragement to keep going. So if we will continue this way, who knows what God might do next. 
Next slide. That's all I have to say this morning. I'm sure I missed things. There's so much more I'd like to say. Um, but for the sake of time and the lunch and uh, everything else, I just want to say it is a huge blessing to be the pastor of this church. I don't take it lightly. I pray for your families. Uh, God's still working on me. I've got faults. Call me out on them. I need that in love. And realize also, um, Kelly and I moved down here by the conviction of the Lord. If he only reached one family, it was worth it. And we don't call it uh, a big sacrifice. We call it being obedient. So I would challenge you and encourage you to seek God's face and find out what he's called you to do. For some of you, God may call you out of this area and it will kill me. I will hate it. But until then, if he calls you, then go. But keep doing what you do day in and day out, whether it's work at a business, whether it's serve at the school, uh, whether it's uh, you know, loving your wife and your family. Whatever you're called to do, do it for the glory of God. He will get the glory. You will be transformed and the kingdom of God will grow. Notice what he said when he said they continued in the apostles' doctrine, they continued in fellowship, the breaking of bread, and in prayers. God added daily to the church those who were being saved. And so if we will continue in these four pillars, if our church will be built on those essentials and nothing else but those essentials, God will add to the church daily those who are being saved, and they will be family members that you believe will not be reached by the gospel, that it's impossible. He'll do the impossible as we're faithful to do what he's called us to. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your story. We thank you for this church. I thank you for the benefit and the the blessing it's been to Kelly and I and to our babies. I thank you for the opportunity to be a part of your major plan to reach this valley with the truth about Jesus. And I pray, Father, that we would not let our preconceived notions about who Jesus is cloud what your word says about Jesus and shows us and how he interacted with people. Help us to get to know our Savior so much that it would affect how we interact with those around us. And Father, would you save souls? Reach the unreached. Reach into the crevices of this valley that are untouched by the gospel. And Father, would you do in our day a work that we would not believe if you told us right now, do above and beyond what we could ask or think. And do it all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.